0: You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702, The Naked Scientist. The Naked Scientist time with Dr. Chris Smith. Give us a call, 11 W and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702 where you can send through all of your science-related questions. Happy Monday, Dr. Chris Smith. How are you doing? <laughs>
1: Happy Monday. You're my favorite.
0: Oh, (laughs) am I your favorite 702 child or broadcasting child? I just want to be clear. All of the above. All All right. I need to start off with a question um, that uh, in our previous conversation we were having about the benefits of reading aloud to your child with the upcoming Mm. Uh, World Read Aloud Day on the 1st of February. And I wondered with the guest. Um, if it is possible to turn nursery rhymes, with ch- which children seem to learn very easily uh, before getting to the stage, of course, of reading into stories that you can read to them. And I wondered from your perspective, a child's brain, is it easy for them to just separate the melody and the rhythm and make it just words?
1: That's a really interesting question that I've never been asked and I've never really thought about it. Even
0: adults, no, now that I think about no, it. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, the th- and the thing is that I look at nursery rhymes since I have my own children in a very different way than I did when I was little. Mm. Same with Christmas carols and things like that. They were just words and music to me at the time or a tune you hummed or sang. And it's when I grew up and then started teaching them to my own children that I then thought, ah these words they are saying a specific thing and some of them don't make any sense whatsoever yes. why would the Humpty Dumpty sit on the wall and why would the king come along with loads of men and horses and put an egg back together that broke it it doesn't make any sense does it but what it does do is it instills a rhythm and a pattern into children it teaches them to say words it teaches them to sing because many of them are sung aren't they and and it teaches them to do that as a group very often as well and these are all important social skills but the, the reason probably that children love being read to is that they're very good at listening. They're very mm. good at beginning to understand words. We, we do that from the, the moment we are, we are born. But, but even before then, we're already listening to the sound of our mum's voice, for instance. So we find listening a calming thing. And children like to be read to, sung to, talked to. But they're able to build in their minds pictures of the story that's being told to them because what they haven't got yet by the time that they're, they're, when they're beginning to enjoy being read to but they haven't learned to read, is the connection between what their eyes are feeding into their brain and the ability to feed that into the parts of the brain that can decode the pictures and make them into all well, those words make sense. Because that's, a, that's an important skill you have to learn to read. And what you're doing is turning a visual stimulus into a way to recruit the correct word in your brain's dictionary. And that takes time to learn, and to learn how you put words together and what those words mean and how those words then assemble into sentences and have meaning. And so it's too taxing for a small person's brain to do all that, Mm. but they can still build pictures in their mind, they still have a a rampant um, imagination, and they still understand the words. So what you're doing when you're reading to a child is you are instilling that visual imagination that you get from a story and teaching them to follow a story, follow a narrative which requires attention, which you get more attention as you get older. And that's why when you're really little with, with really small kids, you have bright pictures, you have a simple narrative, you tend to use a repetitive process. The Gruffalo is a fantastic story by Julia Donaldson, for example, because it uses a repetitive pattern to the way that she builds the story. But with different animals, there's things to look at. You can build pictures in your mind. So it's it's exciting for the child. It keeps their attention but it also teaches them something along the way. And as you get older, you get to hold more facts in memory so that you can, you can understand a narrative. And then when you can read for yourself, you've hopefully already got in your mind the love of listening to a story, building a story, using your imagination to take you with those words to a new mm. place. But you're able to feed your brain the message because you're able to decode it visually. And, and that's the hard thing. It's the, it's the visual interpretation, your eyes reading the words, building them into sentences and, co- and you comprehending that and then feeding that into the imagination you've already built. So being read to is the first most important fundamental step in that pathway. And it's, it's something we all love, Even as adults? We love to be read to. Yes. And when you listen to someone reading who's a really, really good speaker and narrator who can read a really gripping yarn on the radio, nothing competes compares to that. If you sit down in the armchair, close your eyes and, and let the, the, the narrative wash over you, it's fantastic if you've got the time to do that from time to time and indulge yourself. It's lovely. So, it's a good story.
0: I'm going to challenge you to, to run a very small case study because um, I was trying to run this exercise in my head of just a song that I know I know the lyrics to and it almost feels impossible to just say the lyrics without singing it in my head yep. and naturally trying to go into that melodic rhythmic thing. So... Next week, Monday, I'm hoping you'll have an answer for me with your team there. Do you all try thinking of the one song that you all know the lyrics to and see if you can just tell it like you're telling a story? Well,
1: you know, there is a game <clears throat> show on the radio in the UK where they make them sing one song, as in the words of a song, mm. to the tune of another
0: oh no that is is so difficult
1: try doing that that's that's even harder so you and and if you choose really horrible things that just don't want easy it can be great fun seeing someone desperately trying to sing the words of one thing to the tune of another and your brain is trying to make you sing it the old way and and it's really funny have a go and you you, that could be your challenge for next week okay pull that one off
0: But you know what I just realized, you know, and you obviously experienced this as well, is that when we're kids, you don't notice that most of these nursery rhymes are the same intervals and melodies. Twinkle, twinkle, ba-ba, black sheep, A, B, C, D. EFG. I hadn't noticed that. You've you didn't me something again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hadn't noticed. No, you absolutely. It's right. the right.
0: same melody, but each time it's it's like they figured out a formula that kids can just memorize. But it's all and pretty it's just much the, kids the same. That
1: parents can sing actually. Yes.
0: But, uh, <laughs> 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 all right. Let's go to the lines. We have Lucky in the East Rand. Lucky, how are you? Hi, uh, good afternoon. Uh, and uh, thank you. Uh, yes. Yes. Go ahead, uh, Lucky. The challenge is now what we. Uh, bread, a lot of bread and put it on the freezer. I want to know, is there any effect of eating a bread after it's been frozen? And number two... Sorry, just repeat that question, like because we had you breaking up. So are you asking, yeah. what is the science behind putting bread in the freezer as in for it to stay longer, fresher for longer? No, no, I want to, uh, to know is there, what you're saying about the effect. Is there any negative effect of putting uh, bread Onto the freezer, and even if the 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 expiry date is expired, can you still oh. keep it there is it still fresh or so. Yes, I got you, Lucky Doctor.
1: Yeah, hi, Lucky. The reason we put things at low temperature is that there is a basic rule in chemistry, which is that chemical reactions slow down with temperature so at lower temperatures rates of chemical reactions are lower than at high temperatures and since the things that degrade our food and make it go off are the chemical reactions that are taking place in the food and also the effects of microorganisms that are themselves powered by chemical reactions that's how metabolism works if you drop the temperature down you slow down the rate of degradation of the food because the chemical reactions are slower and the digestion by microbes also is slower so if you put things in the freezer the lower the freezer temperature the lower those reactions go and you can get to a point where if you're putting some things in the freezer if you met them cold enough they would last pretty much forever and the best evidence for that is that you can take human samples of say sperms and eggs and you can put them in liquid nitrogen at about minus 200 degrees and you can thaw them out decades later and they still work So that shows you that that you can preserve things in really good condition for extended periods of time. But most people's freezers at home are going to go down to about minus 20. And that means that the time it takes food to deteriorate is longer, but it's not forever and you do get things which deteriorate in the freezer despite being at very low temperature. They dry out, the characteristic sort of texture of the food or the food stuff will change, it will become much less tasty. It won't be harmful for you, it's very unlikely that that there's going to be any danger or anything nasty by eating food that's been frozen for ages, but it just won't taste very good. Some foods, if not kept at really low temperature, there are some microorganisms that can undergo what we call cold enrichment. In other words, if you don't put the temperature down low enough, so keeping something in the fridge, the fridge is a halfway house between room temperature and really, really cold in the freezer. And so it makes things last longer, but again, not forever. There are some microbes that grow quite well in the fridge and they will make food deteriorate, but they also could make you unwell so it, it is it isn't a given that if you just put something in the fridge you're going to be fine but if you freeze things most of the time that's such a low temperature that most microbes won't grow under those circumstances and the food won't taste as good but it certainly won't kill you
0: also we have load shedding so there's that, that <laughs> don't, don't yeah. keep things in the fridge or freezer too long if your power is going on and off we continue with dr chris smith when we come back 702. The naked scientist. We're still with Dr. Chris Smith. Give us a call on 011 8830702 or head over to the WhatsApp line 072 702 1702. Send through all of your science related questions for the doctor. A question reads as follows, Doctor. Hi to the doctor, Andrew Lebkhine. Can birds sell nests? I ask this because I've observed birds on a nearby tree build nests for a couple of days and once the nest is complete, it's there for about a day and then there's nothing. The bird will build at the same place and the same thing happens and there's no nest on the ground to show that it fell. What an interesting question.
1: Yeah, I don't know the answer to this, but I do know that birds are quite savvy and they can't be bothered to go and find lots of fancy materials if they can get some locally. So it may well be that someone else has stolen the nest and they've taken the useful bits and moved it away. It could be it's blown away and uh, it wasn't firmly fixed in the tree and the wind came along, the weather came along and knocked it off. Um, or it could be that it just fell out of the tree and it got run over by a car so there's a range of different outcomes here i know that some birds do steal other birds nests and they and there are some birds that lay their and that lay their eggs in other birds nests but i'm not aware whether or not birds um sort of pick them up and move their own nest whether they would just start from scratch and build a new one somewhere else because they don't like it they certainly move location if they think that they could nest better elsewhere that's a a better nesting prospect but uh, if anyone does know the answer to this question do please share your wisdom
0: and I'm wondering doctor then you know would they have the capacity to actually dislodge a nest and carry it elsewhere or is it not easier for them to just rebuild another one
1: They would probably start from scratch building again but they would get the raw materials from where the existing they could get them. and and the existing nest could be excuse the pun one <laughs> source of raw materials either their own nest or someone else's I mean bird, yes. birds are are pretty good at spotting a good thing and they'll think, well, I could have that and have that and I'll build a nest out of those bits and pieces. But they would be worried, of course, about being predated because someone might come along and pick on them if they saw them nicking bits of their nest and they would they would perhaps worry that they might be, become a, a target for a predator. But no, I, I would say it's reasonable to speculate that birds will use whatever materials are available to them and whatever they think are the best materials available to them. Um, they might avoid using an old nest that have been abandoned, though, because they might be concerned that it would be uh, for instance, infected or something, or contaminated with something, so they might avoid using someone else's abandoned nest on those grounds. But I don't know. I'm just I'm just speculating. So if anyone yes. is a, is a genuine bird expert, ornithologist, do let us know.
0: All right, let's go to Patrick in Gibbison. Go ahead, Patrick. Hi guys. I wanted to know what's the purpose of BMT in the human body, and why do we have it? BMT in the human body. Uh, what's BMT? I've not come
1: across BMT. Can you tell me a bit more?
0: D. D for Derek, M for Mary, T for Terry. D for Derek, M for Mary, T. So DMT.
1: Yeah. I, okay. I don't know what that is, Derek.
0: Do you, do you know what that stands for? Um, I don't know. It's, a, it's hallucinogenic. A hallucinogenic that appears naturally in the body? Yep. Oh, in the pineal like gland the and the, end of the lungs as well hmm the,
1: the pineal gland makes melatonin um i'm not aware of it making any hallucinogens but uh, if you if you have any more information you can give us that'll be helpful but i've not heard of anything specifically called dmt
0: Um, So, is it, it, from what I can understand, and this is just a quick Google search, that it is a drug that naturally occurs in plant species. So, Patrick, are you not referring to something that one might have ingested and not something that the body necessarily produces on its own? And I I would try to read this, but N-N-dimethyltryptamine. Yeah, it has been found in the human brain deep inside. Mm. Yeah, I think you've given the doctor some homework to go and (laughs) research there, Patrick. Doctor, um, yeah, I'm I'm busy looking. So um, somewhere it does say that um, DMT, while DMT appears to be clearly biosynthesized in the pineal mechanisms for its biosynthesis and release may exist in other brain areas as well and research into these other possibilities will also need to proceed so um maybe you'll have some feedback for us on this chemical in the body i've also never heard of it before in my life i will i'll take that
1: away and i'll come back next week having hopefully done my homework and i'll fill you all in
0: all right here's a voice note hi guys um quick question for dr smith Sometimes um, when I'm listening to the radio, like I get another frequency, like it's almost like another radio station comes on or you hear a disturbance. And um, is there any reason why that happens? Perhaps. Mm, Thank you so much. And I'm wondering if they're on a tuner or a digital type of radio. Because with digital
1: radio, the way digital works is it either works or it doesn't because what's being sent to your radio is a stream of effectively noughts and ones. It's computer language. It's in a code that the radio can then decode and turn back into sound waves. And because written into that code are ways of checking that the message has been received the right way, the radio always gets it right. And if it doesn't get it right, it doesn't do anything. So with digital radio, you get usually pristine transmission or it then breaks down. With other ways of transmitting information, and particularly with uh, the longer wavelength frequencies like AM, for example, you can get funny bleed-over. And this can happen with a range of different things. But you can get bleed-over of the thing you're trying to listen to mixed in with something else. Now, why does that happen? Well, it can happen because if you're very close to a really strong source of radio waves, even though your device is tuned to that particular radio frequency, if someone comes along with a really, really powerful source say, I don't know, a mini cab goes by and they've got a radio on board and they're transmitting, the proximity of you to them means that relative to the signal you were listening to, the signal they're putting out is so loud that even though you're not tuned to it, there's enough current flowing from it in your circuits, your receiver, that it basically drowns out what you were trying to amplify and listen to. So I would say that's the, the likely reason. It's less likely to happen with anything to do with digital, unless something weird happens in your device. But it's more likely with other traditional ways that radio works, where you're, you're sending a radio signal, and you're changing either the size, the height of the radio signal, or you're making the radio signal wobble a little bit, and that's what you're tuned to. That could be drowned out by a really powerful local source of radio waves, usually because someone has got a transmitter that they operate very close to an amplifying device, which is what your radio is. It's a decoder, receiver, and an amplifier. And that's what's causing that funny sudden intrusion of another radio program over the top of all radio content over the top of what you were listening to.
0: Dr. Chris Smith, we're going to have to leave it there. You and I both have some homework to do. We'll catch up with one another on Monday.